and you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Patrick Madden. On the show today, World Cup fever strikes South Louisiana, and yes, the U.S. team is no longer around, but fans of soccer are still glued to the games, and we'll hear about one bar that's become a lively venue for these games. Plus, later on in the show, American Roots will have a sneak peek of this weekend's show. But first, it's Friday, and we talk politics with Stephanie Grace, editorial page director and columnist for the Times-Picayune New Orleans Advocate. You can always read Stephanie's work at NOLA.com. Happy Friday, Stephanie. Happy Friday. Oh, boy. Happy Friday. (laughs) (laughs) And we're also joined by Capital Access reporter Paul Braun. Paul, thank you for being here. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Steph. Thanks for having me. So before we get into any election news, uh, let's talk about the big the big news this week, the retirement of New Orleans or the the soon to be retirement of New Orleans Mm -hmm. top cop NOPD superintendent Sean (laughs) Ferguson. Uh, Stephanie, let's start with you. I mean, your thoughts on this and the timing of this. I mean, there seems like there are several things to talk about here. Yes, there definitely are. Um, Apologies for my throat, by the way. Uh, Sean Ferguson has been police superintendent since LaToya Cantrell came into office. Uh, She wanted him. They knew each other. He was the head of the district. He was the head of the um, police district where in the district that she represented in the city council. They have a longstanding relationship. So there was some criticism back then that she didn't do a wider search, but um, more criticism lately because, of course, of the crime, the, all the issues with NOPD, with the terrible staffing shortage, the uh, murder rate rising, the kind of long wait for response uh, to 911 calls, all of that going on. And, you know, there's just kind of a lot of community involvement, a lot of eyes, a lot of people trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, whenever that happens, the guy at the top is kind of, um, in, you know, People are wondering whether you need to make a change at the top to make a culture change. And a lot of people really did think that was the case. Sean Ferguson said he was retiring voluntarily. He um, He's going to stay through the end of the year. Uh, he, the mayor had very warm words, words for him. And, you know, the kind of interesting thing politically now is what she does, because, of course, as of now, she can appoint whoever she wants. Starting January 1st, there's a new um, law in place, and that is courtesy of the char- the city charter change that voters just supported just last month, 60 to 40, that would give the city council approval over major mayoral hires, such as the police chief. That was an example that J.P. Morrell, the city councilman who sponsored the charter change, pointed to. Um, so the, the question is, does she try to get somebody in before January 1st so that she does not have to go through that that process. Um, she supposedly has somebody in mind internally, a, 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 an officer named uh, Jeanette Williams, who's, who's really risen through the ranks very quickly, uh, who would be the first woman police chief. So that would be a big deal, appointed by the first woman mayor. On the other hand, there are a lot of groups, you know, there's this NOLA coalition, which is just a big group of business and civic and community leaders that is working on crime um, saying, you know, we would like a national search. City council members want to want to search. Um, if, if it does happen after January 1st and there is some sort of approval process, we don't know what that will look like because it's never happened before. In theory, it would be, you know, this person coming before the council and having to answer questions and explain 
his or her philosophy and plans. And, you know, that I, there's a lot of support for that, I think. I mean, clearly there was among voters. So um, so I think everyone's waiting for the next shoe to drop. And, you know, of course, we haven't had a, national, a real national search since Chief Pennington, which was under Mark Morial almost 30 years ago when New Orleans was experiencing another you know, very frightening crime surge. And they brought in Chief uh, Richard Pennington from Washington, D.C., and had a real turnaround um, with the help of some consultants who are actually back on the job now. Latoya Cantrell has brought them back in. Hmm. So, you know, but but it was a disruptive thing to bring in an outside police chief that really, again, that hasn't happened since then. With the one ex- exception, Mitch Landry brought in a guy named Ronald Surpass, who had been in Nashville and some other places, but he originally was from New Orleans and had been, you know, part of that Richard Pennington group. So it wasn't like a real, he wasn't a real outsider, even though he had, he came most recently from outside. But otherwise, we've had police chiefs under Ray Nagan, under Mitch Landry, under Latoya Cantrell, who came up through the ranks. So... Are we getting another one? That's mm. going to be really interesting. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered. We're talking with Stephanie Grace and Paul Braun. I'm Patrick Madden. Paul, let's switch gears and talk about uh, tomorrow's election. You've been closely watching the Public Service Commission runoff between Democratic uh, incumbent Lambert Boissier III and challenger Devante Lewis. How are things shaping up with one day to go? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting race. Um, It's very rare that we get to say that the Public Service Commission (laughs) race is the hottest contest on on a Louisiana voters ballots. But that's that's what we're dealing with in this December 10th runoff. Um, And we've seen a huge influx of money, not just from inside the state and and from utility regulators to Boissier, but also in out of from out of state environmental groups who've largely lined up behind Lewis. And um, those two candidates are are both Democrats, but they're bringing very different perspectives to this race. Boissier is an incumbent's incumbent. Uh, he comes from a, a powerful New Orleans political dynasty. Uh, he's been on the commission for 17 years and has, you know, a comfortable working relationship with the utilities he regulates and also the majority of the Republicans on that panel. Um, and Lewis is, is definitely an outsider, and he's he's pitching some pretty broad and I would say drastic changes to, to how the board would operate. Um, Boisset's responded to that saying that, you know, it's not necessarily pragmatic being one of just two Democrats on a a panel dominated by Republicans. It could be kind of hard to enact some of those um, some of those policies that Lewis is advocating for. But um, Lewis, who is an activist from Baton Rouge and and advocates for uh, low and middle income Louisianans, with Louisiana Budget Project has has been pushing for a um, a ratepayers bill of rights as one of his major features of his campaign and also a swifter adoption of alternative and clean energy sources in Louisiana's electric grid. And it's interesting to see uh, Stephanie sort of the all the people sort of jumping in on the race with different endorsements. We have uh, from Hollywood Mark Mark Ruffalo coming in mm-hmm. and and of course some big names here in Louisiana. Well, the other day, Governor John Bell Edwards cut a video on behalf of Lambert Boissier. So that was, you know, that's as big as Democrats get in this state. Um, It's interesting, though, because it's such a weird election day. It's a runoff day with very few runoffs, except for little, you know, spots around the state. They're the hot Shreveport mayor's race, for example. But otherwise, we've got three constitutional amendments, none of them very interesting. 
And that's almost it, other than this PSC turnout, see it's PSC rate. So then you have to look at who's going to bother to show up. And there, you know, there's so much energy on the Devante Lewis side. Can someone who's been just kind of an incumbent all these years, you know, real, real establishment figure, get people to show up just for him? That's going to be really interesting. Right. And I think anytime folks are paying their power bills and other things, you know, you sort of are reminded of the importance of, of this race. So it is something right. I think that resonates with people. Although, although I would add, again, it's a, there's a weird kind of like hiccup here in that the district includes New Orleans. It's not only New Orleans, it goes up to Baton Rouge and some of the suburban areas, but in New Orleans, the regulatory structure is that the city council, you know, deals with utilities, energy. So even though Lambert Brassier is a New Orleans politician. He doesn't really represent New Orleans ratepayers the way he represents ratepayers from elsewhere. So it's just kind of a weird situation for New Orleans voters. But I mean, we definitely see that dissatisfaction with with utility bills and, mm -hmm. and rising utility bills in particular being a big factor in this race and in the messaging from the candidates themselves. Uh, Boisset has talked about keeping the baseline rate for energy mm -hmm down but at the same time and and that is relatively low compared to other states but when you look at the fees that are tacked on to folks energy bills for infrastructure improvements for fuel surcharges all of those are approved by the psc and those have increased astronomically over the last few years and, and louisiana's left with some very high fees compared to the rest of the nation and that's something that lewis has sort of tagged him for uh, in this campaign and um, certainly something on on folks' minds. I think a lot of folks are really upset with, you know, the vulnerability of the state's energy infrastructure in, mm -hmm. in the wake of all the hurricanes we've experienced. Um, and a lot of them aren't comfortable with the way that the utility companies have largely proposed having ratepayers pay for those improvements and repairs in some cases. That doesn't sit well with a lot of folks. So that's definitely a factor in this race here. I think we're going to have to wrap it up there, but we'll be uh, watching this race and we'll be reading uh, coverage, hearing coverage from Paul Braun, Capital Access reporter Paul Braun and Stephanie Grace. You can always read Stephanie's work at NOLA.com. Thank you very much, Paul and Stephanie. Thanks, y'all. Anytime. Thank you. This is Louisiana Considered. The quarterfinals of the 2022 FIFA World Cup start today, and New Orleanians are packing sports bars to watch, but there's one bar whose soccer culture is outmatched, attracting fans from around the world. Louisiana Considered's managing producer, Alana Schreiber, has the story. These days, it feels like everyone is watching the world's biggest sporting event, the World Cup. For many, this means going to their favorite soccer bar, but if you live in New Orleans, there's pretty much just one bar synonymous with the game. Of course, there are tons of places to watch the World Cup in New Orleans, but Finn McCool's in Mid-City is the soccer bar of the Crescent City. Whether the games are at 1 p.m., 9 a.m., or even 4 in the morning, there's always a group of fans cheering on their home team. Fabian, I'm from Australia. Faisal Falaki from Tangier, Morocco. Luis, I'm from Argentina. Uh, I'm Nicole. I was born in Belgium. Uh, my name is Tijani Ba. I come from France, and, but I live in New Orleans right now. And I'm uh, Hugo Fontanelle, and I come from south of France. Tijani and Hugo are teachers in New Orleans who showed up at 9 a.m. one Wednesday to watch France play Tunisia. 
And while American fans of European soccer leagues are no strangers to waking up early for matches, for the French fans, this was a totally new experience. It's funny, it's kind of hard to see the game. For the, for the time, the, the game are in the morning, so it's hard to see the game. But it's fun. There is a French community, so we are not alone to, to, uh, to support the team. But while the French community is pretty substantial in New Orleans, other groups don't have quite as much support for their teams. On the morning of December 1st, two men from out of town sat in a Finns booth, drinking beer and wearing the checkered national team jerseys for Croatia. I'm Ivan, I'm from Zagreb. Yeah, I'm Ibrahim from Split. Ivan and Ibrahim were visiting New Orleans for a conference. And one of Yvonne's biggest takeaways is just how nice the fans are here. It is a bit weird, and I'd say we do have a bit of a problem in that regard with that culture because in Europe, you know, like the hooligans and stuff, they really sometimes rain the game for other people. But it's really, really nice to be able to like, be relaxed even with like Canadian fans. My sister was just telling me, like, don't get beat up or something. Like, if you're watching Canada, it's like, no, they don't do their hobby. <laughs> In other countries, supporters of one team aren't even allowed into the other team's bar. But at Finns, with four different teams playing, you'll see supporters of all four countries sitting side by side. And Ibrahim says he's noticed this friendlier fan culture in other parts of America as well. So like a couple of months back, uh, my friends from Croatia and now we wanted to go watch a baseball game in Boston Lake against uh, Yankees. <laughs> we were checking um, the tickets and we're like, okay, which side is ours? Like we wanted to root for the Red Sox. We Google like baseball game like photos and we see that everybody's mixed. We're like, oh, oh, mind blown. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. To Ibrahim, even baseball's most contentious rivalry seemed tame. At the other end of the bar sat Faisal Falaki. Originally from Tangier, Falaki says he normally watches games with a couple Moroccan friends. But that day, he was the country's lone supporter at the bar. After every game, I still like talk to friends in Morocco, my family in Morocco. Now, sometimes I definitely want to be there because I'm seeing like, you know, videos from there, the images, people in the streets, they're going freaking nuts over there. So yeah, sometimes there's a little bit of that envy. A sense of homesickness when watching the World Cup was actually echoed among a lot of fans at Finns, even for those in much larger groups of supporters, like Anna, who's originally from Sao Paulo, but has lived in New Orleans for five years. I definitely miss like the whole crowd jumping and screaming. There are probably going to be some samba by now, people eating feijoada, like, you know, Brazilian beer. So like, it's, see how people are sitting down. I cannot sit down. When teams like Brazil or Argentina play, they bring in a solid group of supporters. But it's nothing compared to when England takes the field. I'm Sean, I'm from Southeast London. Sean started coming to Finns soon after he moved here. I mean, it's great because it's like a home away from home, you know. A bunch of people from England, Wales, wherever, like, it's just a community that comes together and watches a sport that not that many other people watch in America. And when England fans arrive, not only do they pack the place, they even bring their own speakers. No matter what time of day it is or how rowdy the crowd, one thing at Finn stays constant. 
the owner, Sean Kennedy, sits quietly, usually with a friend or two, at a corner bar stool. I'm from a small town on the west coast of Ireland called Galway, but we've lived here for over 30 years. Kennedy bought Finn six years ago, and if all the other patrons thought watching soccer here was different from what they were used to, for Kennedy, it felt familiar. New Orleans is, and Ireland are incredibly similar. Um, it's family, it's social, uh, people like to have a few drinks uh, together. It's Catholic uh, predominantly, and the only difference is the weather. <laughs> but Kennedy isn't just the owner of a soccer pub. He's also a former soccer coach. And having coached teams in the New Orleans area for more than 25 years, he knows the importance of fostering a welcoming sporting community. We're open to any, any team. And I, you know, I don't tolerate taunting. I want people to enjoy each other's company, whether you wear a blue shirt or a red shirt or a yellow shirt. I don't really care. Everybody should be able to come in for a couple of hours, have a couple of beers, and enjoy their team winning and even losing in some cases. Because at Finns, it doesn't really matter who you're cheering for, as long as you're cheering for your home team. At Finn McCool's, I'm Alana Schreiber. You're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. Each week, American Roots brings you shortcuts, a sneak peek at the upcoming show. And this week, it's old school singer and prolific songwriter Don Bryant, who got his start with Willie Mitchell and High Records in Memphis. Here's Nick Spitzer speaking with Don Bryant. The music hit me, I guess it was at a very young age listening to my daddy and his gospel group singing uh, the Four Stars of Harmony, that was the name. And they used to rehearse at the house, and we would all sit around listening to them harmonize, you know. I just enjoyed it that much, and I tried to be there as much as I could to listen to it. I don't know, maybe my mind was made up then, because I never did get away from it, you know, as I continued to grow old, I still got closer and closer to music, trying to imitate some of the sounds that they were doing. A lot of times I'd be by myself just walking and singing and trying to hit some of the tones and the notes that I, I heard my father and his group do, you know. When I was in grammar school, you know, say maybe about uh, seventh, eighth grade, you know, they would have talent shows and different things. Uh, in the school, and uh, I would always try to be a part of it. And that just kept building and building and building, and uh, I just didn't ever stop. Yes, I want you for myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I don't need nobody else. Yeah. Uh-huh. I gotta have you for my own. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll never leave you alone. Yeah. Uh-huh. I gotta have you. That's why I grab you. Well, you did end up harmonizing with your brothers. You called yourselves the Four Kings, and you were on Dick Kane Cole's popular show on WLOK. Tell me a little bit about how the Four Kings and you end up with Willie Mitchell. Well, you know, we had been singing, you know, maybe two, three of my other brothers would get together, and we tried to harmonize. We we finally got a group together that we had uh, uh, four 
individuals that wanted to really do it, and we kind of stuck together. I think Willie, he heard the group, and uh, we talked, and uh, he wanted to see if we would be interested in working with his band. We went in and auditioned for him, and he said, okay, I'll give you a try. And and it lasted pretty good. But, I mean, eventually <laughs> the different ones in the group, they had their differences and couldn't get along, and then this one started leaving and that one started leaving and whatever, you know. I went to Willie and asked, you know, if I could try doing it solo. And he gave me that opportunity, uh, you know, to work uh, as a soloist, and uh, it, it worked out pretty good, you know. Well, 50 years later, you're continuing to make music. And I was listening to uh, the 2020 record, You Make Me Feel, and you've got this song, Your Love is to Blame. Uh, you're saying love is to blame, but love is a pretty positive force there. It is. It's a great thing, man. And so many people are caught up in it and and, and having different problems and what have you. And I, I'll be trying to reach those problems that they may be having, because I know I went through a lot of them myself. You know, I would always try to approach it in a way where it's going to be more than just four or five people going through these changes. It's going to be some of everybody going through these changes, you know. You make me feel like a man want to feel Shortcuts. I'm Nick Spitzer. To hear more, join me Saturdays at 5 and Sundays at 6 on WWNO or listen at AmericanRoots.org. And you can hear American Roots on WRKF Saturdays at 7 p.m. And that's going to wrap up our show here on Louisiana Considered. I'm Patrick Madden. I want to thank our earlier guests, Stephanie Grace and Paul Braun. We also heard Louisiana Considered's managing producer, Alana Schreiber, with that great story from Finn McCool's Irish Pub in Mid-City about the World Cup that is currently underway. Um, and then again, we also heard the American Roots Shortcut with Nick Spitzer. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's also available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And Louisiana Considered also wants to hear from you. Please fill out our pitch line to let us know what kinds of story ideas you have for our show. And while you're at it, fill out our listener survey. We want to keep bringing you the kinds of conversations that you would like to listen to. And tune in Monday on Louisiana Considered. Congressman Troy Carter will join the show. So we'll have an interesting conversation with the congressman. That's on Monday noon on WWNO and WRKF with host Karen Henderson. 
I'm Patrick Madden, and again, you can always find out the latest news from NPR and from our newsroom by going to our websites, www.org and wrkf.org. We'll have coverage of tomorrow's elections on our website, so you can stay with us for that coverage. Everyone have a great weekend. I'm Patrick Madden, and we'll be back on Monday. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouse's.com with additional support from the Sazerac House.